Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. Frank Zappa once said, You can't be a real country unless you have a beer and an airline. It helps if you have some kind of football team or some nuclear weapons, but at the very least, you need a beer. Now, there are lots of countries that are technically independent and sovereign, but they don't feel like, you know, real countries. Vatican City is, on paper, a state. It's sovereign. It's not part of Italy, technically. But it's so tiny that it can't really produce the kinds of things that we associate with a nation or nationhood. There's no Vatican Airlines. And the Holy See, they don't field any athletes for the Olympics or the World Cup, though as a lapsed Catholic, I would kind of love to see that. The point is that states can be recognized by other states like the Vatican is, or they can just declare themselves to be independent and say, hey, we're a country now. Lots of rebellions have done that throughout the ages. But the idea of statehood and nationhood is ultimately sort of ephemeral and hard to pin down. This is something that political scientists and international relations theorists love to argue about. When is a state a real state? When does that social construct that we call a government, actually represent something real. Now, a country, to be real, probably doesn't need to have its own beer, like Frank Zappa said. If it did, plenty of Muslim countries would not be quote-unquote real. But Zappa kind of had a point. You do need an indefinable something. So it's fascinating, and I think kind of amazing, that there are plenty of tiny little specks on the globe that have, without having any of the ephemeral requirements for nationhood, like football teams or nuclear weapons or airlines, have declared themselves to be independent, sovereign, and 100% real states. The list of micronations is actually pretty long, and prominent examples include Outer Baldonia, Malasia, the Arakan Empire, and British West Florida, but probably the most prominent and successful micronation of them all is the Principality of Sealand, a self-proclaimed independent nation in the North Sea. Hence the name, Sealand. The Principality, and I guess we're going to call it that, is located on a World War II British military fort in the North Sea, seven nautical miles from the British coast. And by the way, nautical miles, they are highly confusing. They are not like land miles. A nautical mile is equal to one minute of an arc along any meridian, which I guess is sort of cool because that's a quantifiable, measurable thing in the world, but it's kind of confusing to us land people. Uh, in more conventional terms, a nautical mile equates to 1.15078 normal mile or 1.852 kilometers. Uh, so Sealand, our subject today, it is about 8.05546 miles or 12.964 kilometers off the coast of Britain. You know, just so you can get your bearings. As for the length of the coast of Britain, according to Benoit Mandelbrot, that's infinite. Anyway, this is all to say that the old World War II installation used to be far enough away from the British coast to be considered in international waters. And that's what's important with that seven nautical miles number. In the 1960s, various adventurous types, they made their way out to these old World War II platforms, not to start countries, but to start pirate radio stations. And there were lots of them, one of the most successful being Radio Essex, 
It was the first British pirate radio station to broadcast around the clock. The station, under the leadership of a man called Roy Bates, originally broadcast from a structure called the Knock John Navy Fort, which they forcibly seized from another different rival pirate radio crew in 1965, which sounds bizarre. Pirate radio DJs fighting over World War II forts. That's a thing that happened. One year later, though, after they seized this fort, uh, Bates, he was convicted of illegal broadcasting. So, he moved his operations a bit further out to another, different, abandoned fort called Fort Ruffs, seven nautical miles from the British coast. That was just outside the UK's territorial waters. The next year, the UK made it illegal for British citizens to work for a pirate radio station. Bates closely read the law and saw that he could get around it if he were to declare that his platform in international waters was an independent country. So, in 1967, he did exactly that, and the Principality of Sealand was born because of pirate radio. Curiously, after he declared that the old World War II installation was an independent country, Bates didn't actually restart his pirate radio station. But he did get to work on getting Sealand a flag, insignia, and all of the other trappings and decorations that go with having a real, actual country. Never mind that it was only 550 square meters. They had a flag, and that's what counts. And, like any real, actual country, Sealand has been in a few wars. Kind of. Sort of. No one actually died. But you'll recall that Roy Bates and his crew, they seized Fort Ruffs from a rival pirate radio crew. Eventually, other different rival pirate radio broadcasters, they attempted to take Sealand for their own. But Bates, he frightened them off with some bombs and warning shots. A little bit more extreme than that was an incident where a Royal Navy vessel sailed into Sealand's quote-unquote territorial waters, and Bates' son, Royal Prince Michael, fired a few warning shots at them. Which, you know, is insane. The British Navy is one of the most powerful military entities that the world has ever known, and one of Sealand's princes, you know, decided to shoot at it. No one was hurt and nothing was damaged, and later on a British court decided that it wanted nothing to do with the incident, and they just declared it to be outside of its jurisdiction. With that court decision, Bates declared that Sealand had been recognized, at least in a de facto manner, by the British government. Then things get weird. In 1978, a German business mogul named Alexander Achenbach approached Bates' family about turning Sealand into an offshore, independent, luxury casino and hotel, kind of like an even smaller version of Monaco. As part of the deal, Achenbach wanted not only Sealand's citizenship, but he also wanted to be declared Prime Minister for Life. Now, details are a bit sketchy, but based on everything that I've read, Prince Roy Bates wasn't about to give some German tycoon a title like Prime Minister for Life. Relations degraded. So one day, while the elder Bates and his wife were away from the platform, Achenbach made his way to Sealand with a crew of hired goons, took the platform by force, and they held the prince, young Michael Bates, hostage, staging what was effectively the world's smallest coup in the world's smallest kind of country. 
Roy Bates obviously was not pleased. Bates, who, by the way, was a former British Army major, launched a helicopter invasion of his country to rescue his son. And so, for the first time since World War II, British and German citizens clashed in the North Sea in a tiny, tiny, little international incident. With his helicopters, Bates successfully expelled Achenbach's goons and was able to take the would-be Prime Minister for Life's lawyer hostage. And uh, what did the British government have to say about this? About helicopters and hostage-taking and miniature coups and all that just off its coastline? Nothing. Once again, the UK made it very clear that Sealand was out of its jurisdiction and it didn't want to have anything to do with it. It wasn't going to do anything about the battle for the micronation, and it wasn't going to do anything about Achenbach's imprisoned lawyer. So Germany had to send one of its ambassadors from London to secure the release of the lawyer. Bates, and therefore Sealand, later claimed that this sending of an ambassador to do a thing constituted de facto recognition by the German government. Achenbach, after being ejected from the principality, proclaimed himself to be the head of the Sealand government in exile. The UK eventually declared that it controlled everything within 12 nautical miles of its coast, and that put Sealand very much inside British waters. But nevertheless, the principality has continued to maintain its independence. Sealand has courted various business interests and organizations which have hoped to take advantage of its independent and rule-flaunting nature. Uh, in 2000, a now-defunct data housing site called Havenco set up on a micronation, but eventually folded. And in 2007, the torrent site, the Pirate Bay, attempted to buy it, but those plans fell through. Given that pirate radio figures so prominently in Sealand's history... I do think that something like the Pirate Bay would be a natural fit for it nowadays, though. The P Principality, and again, we're just calling it that, that's what they call themselves, has also sent various athletes to compete on its behalf in numerous athletic competitions, ranging from curling to ultimate frisbee to roller derby. But the tiny country remains shut out of things like the Olympics and the World Cup. In 2013, a mountaineer planted the Sealand flag on the summit of Mount Everest, and that same year, a German rap group, Fetzbrot, filmed a music video for their song Echo on the Principality. In 2012, Roy Bates, the pirate broadcaster come Prince, died at the age of 91 after suffering from Alzheimer's. His son, Michael, is now the Sealand head of state, and nowadays the country sells titles on its website, where, for a fee, you can become a lord, lady, baron, or baroness, of a totally and 100% kind of real country. That audacity is kind of appealing. In a certain sense, countries exist because we say they do. There's no magical barrier between the US and Canada, or between China and Russia, or between India and Pakistan. Those barriers exist because we say they do. Countries exist because we say they do. And Sealand and other micronations are an acknowledgement of that very fact, disregarding all of the ephemeral things that you need to qualify to be a quote-unquote real country, like an airline, a football team, a beer, etc. Really, those things that are represented by flags and governments and borders, we made them. States and nations 
and governments, and the rest of it. Ultimately, they are all human creations, no matter what Frank Zappa says.